Yeah, not that far. Just, just like back here to where the light's a little better. Thank you. Well, um, before I start... He needs an entourage. I, yeah, I've got my, I've got my bodyguard and, and my buff bodyguard with me. Paul said, the Apostle Paul said that um, he'd just been to Athens, which was the intellectual capital of that world. And uh, he was an intellectual himself. And he was really, in a sense, coming home to the people that he could converse with most easily. A bunch of latte drinking, frappuccino sipping intellectuals where they love to talk about the latest fad and the latest concept and the latest theology. And he went there and uh, preached what many theologians say was the greatest sermon in the Bible, what they call the Sermon to the Unknown God. And uh, he thought it would be highly successful. It was the only place he ever went where no church was planted. No signs and wonders were done. No, no significant deeds of power. And uh, essentially it was a failure. It was unlike any of the other cities that he's visited where there were signs and wonders and miracles done. Demons cast out. Miraculous healings. Usually a riot. Some kind of backlash from the religious community. And having failed in Athens, he shows up in Corinth, which is the next stop on his trip. And he says, I didn't come to you with wise words or a great speech like what I just did in Athens, which failed. I'm coming to you with a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit so that your faith will not rest on human eloquence, human ability, a good speaker, a good presentation, but your faith will rest on the power of God. And I don't think a Sunday should ever go by in our church that we don't have something to do or say that demonstrates the power of God. It's a mistake to so intellectualize our faith that it becomes merely a series of propositions we agree to and say, hey, I'm a Christian. We can't become a Christian but for the power of the Holy Spirit. And we should have something to say or something to demonstrate to you every single Sunday that we're not here for a theology. We're here for an encounter with God. We're not just here for theology. We're going to do a lot of theology this morning in this message. But uh, Les came up and said, hey, I've got a really neat thing that happened this week. Um, it's a demonstration of a supernatural encounter with God and one of the spiritual gifts. And uh, anytime he says he's got something like that, I always know it's going to be really good. So Les is going to give us a little uh, testimony here, and then we're going to jump in to the message. So Les, come on and, and step out here and do it. Thanks, Mark. Uh, I hope this will be an encouragement uh, for you all, those who are wanting to draw closer to God. Uh, it's a just-don't-give-up story. Uh, I'm Les Meredith. Some of you know me. Saturday mornings, I lead the men's prayer group, trying to help men just to stand with each other and try to hear the Word of God and then to, to, to pray it, to encourage each other. 
several years ago, I asked the Lord when I travel for business, which I don't like to do, help me to have encounters with people. Help me to hear encouragement for them. Help me to spread your love. Because I had heard from Chris Volatin at Bethel Church, I had heard a testimony that he could hear God on planes. I had no idea that was possible. So I just began saying, Lord, if that's possible, I would like to do that. It would make me look forward to traveling. I would travel with you. So... For years, I've come up here and told testimonies of getting words for strangers, uh, but I've been kind of in a funk the last couple of weeks, so I have to come up here sheepishly to tell you that the stress of certain things going on in my own life had been consuming my mind and my heart so that I wasn't really hearing much from God, and that can happen. And we sang a great song, Who, who Can Stop the Lord Almighty? You can. You can stop Him in your own life. All you have to do is quit paying attention to him. Quit talking to him. Feel the stress more than you reach out for God. You're so stressed you can't even pray. You don't know what to say. You're so stressed you can't even open the Bible. But what you focus on is what you leak into the world. And I've just been through this season of stress. And yet I've been pulling the word out. And these business meetings ran from 7 a.m. till 9 p.m. at night. And I didn't have a single word for anybody, but I was going to bed every night with, with the word. And I was reading John, and John 9 to 11, there's just so many times the Lord says, those who are of the Lord will hear the Lord. They will know my words. The sheep will hear the shepherd. And it was just his promise over and over, ask in my name boldly, and ask for boldness, and I'll give it to you so that my works may be demonstrated through you. And it was just so encouraging to me to see that. So I got on the plane to come back. It's a four and a half hour flight. I'm sitting in my seat on the the aisle. And a girl comes up to me and says, would you switch seats with me so I can sit with my boyfriend? I thought, oh, I have an end seat, you know. She says, well, it's just back there. So I did. I got up. I moved the seat. And I'm just sitting there, and I have a book, a Christian book, and I'm going to read. And a woman comes in, and she's in the middle seat. So as she crosses to sit down, I felt the word intercessor. Just boom. I wasn't thinking about anything in particular. I just suddenly felt the word intercessor. She sat down, and I thought, okay, Lord, is she an intercessor? I didn't hear anything. Usually I ask questions. Lord, was that something for her? Do you want me to speak to her? Well, four hours goes by. We're both watching movies and reading books and No one's talking. We're about 10 minutes outside. And I said, okay, I have got to go boldly here and see if that was a word from God or not. If it was, he wants me to encourage her. He has something to say to her. And I'm never going to know if I don't say something. So I very sheepishly (laughs) thought, well, if I ask her if she's an intercessor and she doesn't know what that means, she'll simply say, what is that? And I'll (laughs) I'll change the conversation. I had no boldness. It's been a while since I've heard from God. I was being sheepish. And I just want to confess that to you guys, to encourage you, don't give up. So I turned to her and I said, this is going to sound a little funny, but I felt like when you came on the the plane, the word intercessor came into my mind. Are you by any chance an intercessor? She goes, yes, I am. How could you know that? Thank you, God. I needed that. She needed that. So I began to explain that sometimes the Lord speaks to me. And as I began speaking to her, he began giving me pictures of all the families that she's prayed for and people that, that I said, do you often find yourself praying for families and for kids that are wayward to bring them back together? She goes, yes, I do. I get involved in that quite a bit. She said, I've been praying since I was a little girl. I felt drawn to the Lord to have this connection with him since I was a little girl. So prayer is my main ministry. So I just said, well, I just want you to know that God sees you. 
God hears your prayers. He sees the families that you're helping bring together to the spiritual realm. He wanted me to tell you that he loves you. And now I don't know what that would be like on the other side. I only know it from my side. If a stranger suddenly comes out and tells you what your spiritual gift is, what your ministry is, tells you God sees you, I hope that that would encourage you. It's also quite awkward, especially at the beginning, when it's just that, hey, are you an intercessor? So sometimes I need to work on the delivery, but that day I wasn't even sure of myself. But I hung in, and I just want to encourage you all. God does speak to us. We're just often so busy with our minds on other things. But if you suddenly get a transition like that, something you weren't thinking of a moment later, and it's something that could probably be encouraging, don't be hesitant to speak it out. God may be wanting to speak to you to encourage another person in a way that you'll marvel afterwards. But it starts with that kind of boldness, even when you're not sure, to break through that uncertainty and not stop God of what he's trying to do through your life. Excellent. Excellent. Have many of you been reading Stephanie's uh, bulletins from India? Amazing. I mean, she's going to, we're going to, Jerry, got to make sure that Stephanie's up here next Sunday to give us a report because uh, I think her life has changed. I think she's living in a new world now. And it's just absolutely wonderful. So we'll look forward to that report. Okay, we're starting a new series uh, this morning on the Gospel of John. And it's my joy and and my privilege to uh, open the series. So we're going to begin line by line, essentially, because this Gospel of John is uh, theologically one of the most dense and, and powerful and deep deepest statements in the Bible. There's more, there's more theology in the first chapter of the Gospel of John than exists in, in many of the epistles. It's profound. It's absolutely breathtaking in its, in its depth and in its beauty. So we're going to unpack it uh, almost word by word. And I hope you're okay with that. But this, this book, particularly this first chapter, deserves to be absolutely nibbled at and not don't try to swallow it whole you've just got to take it phrase by phrase and uh, and sometimes word by word because there's such such profundity in this so let's start with his opening statement in the beginning was the word let's contract that in the beginning what does he mean what's he talking about the beginning of what Everything. You see, this isn't the the Greek word that's used here, beginning. It is much more than in the beginning of a story, like let me start at the beginning. It it doesn't have to do with that. It's, It's much deeper than that. It means in the beginning of time. It means in the beginning as in originating from or the first cause. So what is it saying is that there was a time when there was uh, Nothing. And then there was a time when there was everything. And the source, the origination for that everything is in this beginning. So it's telling us this is about as important as it gets. This is first cause stuff. This is, if you want to get scientific, the Big Bang. This is where everything, this is where matter actually begins. In the beginning was 
the word. What a bizarre way to start his story. Before there was anything, and when something happened and matter came into existence, there was a word. Well, what's he mean by word? What's that word, word? It's the word logos in the Greek. And this is what it means. It is a statement with the thought behind the statement. It's often interpreted as a message. So let's call it a message. The thought, the statement, the message. In the beginning, at the point at which matter came into existence, there was a message. The whole thing has a point. The whole thing has a message. But what I like about John is he teases us with this information and he doesn't lay it all out and make it simple. He builds phrase by phrase, idea by idea, concept by concept. He begins with this idea of in the beginning, before there was anything, there's a message. Now, this is interesting. It means many things, but fundamentally it means there was a point to all of this creation. It's not senseless. It's purposeful, but it's beyond being purposeful. It is in itself a message. God had a message. And this message existed before time. And this message existed before the existence of matter. This message existed before the existence of the world. So whatever this message is, it's really, really important. In fact, we'll find out it's the whole purpose of creation. Creation is merely to get the message across. Creation is merely the vehicle of the message. Now, this is making the message absolutely essential to any understanding of anything of the world in which we live. And he says, in the beginning was the word, so before creation there was a message. Now, this is, this is interesting. And then he says, and the message was with God. Well, I guess that's, that makes sense. There has to be a messenger if there's a message. So you say to yourself, yes, of course, the message has a source. The message comes from the messenger and the message was with God. So I guess it's God's message. And the message was God. Well, this is getting confusing. Okay, I get the God idea. And I get that God has a message. And I get that the message is with God. Because where else would it be? Because he's the messenger. He's, he's the originator of the message. But what do you mean the message was God? Well, this is pretty significant because whatever the message is, it's quintessential to the definition of God. This message sums God up. This message is a perfect expression of him. This message is him. He's the message. And then it gets really strange. He, 
was with God in the beginning. He? John, what are you doing? There was this message that was with God. I get that. I get it that it was in the beginning. I can follow all that. Now you're telling me that the message isn't just with God. The message actually is God. And now you're personifying it. He was with God in the beginning. Now the message is a person. The message has been personified. And it is God, but it's with God, and it was with God in the beginning, and it's always existed before everything else, but it's a he, and whatever the he message is, he's part of the message, and he's part of God, and he's before everything existed. Hallelujah. (laughs) Yeah, but it's kind of hard to understand. It was God, and it's a he. But he's somehow distinct from God. He's distinct from God enough to be his own self. Yet he's always existed with God, and he is God. But he's somehow distinct enough that he can be referred to as a he and a different person. But he's the message. But the message is also God. What the heck? Is the message. And it's a message. It's a statement to someone. He's not talking to himself. So. There's an object. There's a person receiving this message. There's maybe more than one person receiving this message. Now it gets more interesting. Through him. Okay, um, let me think. I got this. Through the message, all things were made. The message is responsible for creation. Without the message, nothing was made that has been made. Everything that is human life is dependent upon An idea from God. A thought and a statement. And he's the statement. And everything that matters to us is simply a result of this statement. But he goes on, he says, in him, this message, this word was life. And that life was the light of men. Listen, we can talk to each other frequently and we can give each other messages, but the messages we give to each other do not result in life. No matter how well-meaning we are, no matter how full of love we are when we speak to one another, our words do not impart life. But this message brings about life. Every breath that you take is dependent upon this thought from God, which was personified. And when it comes, it brings life. 
Every word that God speaks imparts life. Every word. Every word God speaks, every message that he brings has within it power. To bring life and to change life and to release life and to heal life. Every single word. So when you have a prophetic word on an airplane about a total stranger and you begin speaking to them about that word, you're a messenger from God. And as you're speaking, the power of the message from God for that person actually comes out of your mouth. There's an actual tangible power that when it hits that person, it transforms them and something begins to happen in them. Which is beyond their ability to create it for themselves. I, 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 I could not be happier than I am today because last Sunday, was it last, when did Stephanie leave, Jerry? How long has she been gone? Was it last Sunday or the Sunday before? You know, I'm old, I can't remember. But we stood here and I had a prophetic word for Stephanie. And the prophetic word is that God has given you tremendous spiritual authority. You're to use it like a credit card and you're to be presumptuous with it. You're to go out and take risks and get crazy and do things you've never done before and count on God to come through in a way you've never experienced before. And she went out and did it. She went out and did it. You guys may not have read the report. There was a demonized young boy that had been tied up by his family because he was beyond redemption. He was wild. And they prayed and cast demons out of this kid and for the first time in 15 years he spoke to his mother. They saw a paralyzed woman walk for the first time. And she's going to tell these stories next week. I just read the summary and I'm like, oh my God. When God speaks to you with a word and you choose to believe it, something is going to happen which is beyond human potential. Life is released by that word and when you go out and try it and risk it and obey, you are going to see things happen which are not explicable apart from the message of God. In him was life, and that life, not just was, was and is the light of men. The message is creative, it communicates, and it communicates first through creation. As the word brings about the existence of the world in which we live, the world in which we live becomes a message. The world in which we live, nature, communicates the very essence of God. Now listen to this. This is the Apostle Paul theologizing the same point. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. 
being understood from what has been made, because what has been made is part of the message. It is from the message. It communicates the message. It communicates the very nature of God so that men are without excuse. We cannot say, I can't understand God. Go for a hike. Go to the beach. Climb a mountain. Go stand in the desert at midnight and look up at the sky. The creation speaks to us about the very nature of the Creator. It's interesting to me how many times my non-Christian friends, and I've had this conversation so many times, they say, would you like to come to church? And they say, no, my church is nature. Have you ever heard that? And anyone ever told you that? They tell me that they feel very close to God when they're alone out in nature. But what's interesting to me is that their emotional experience of nature is always positive. Even when they're watching a horrific storm. Jerry and I were in Lincoln, Nebraska. He was on a reunion gig with a band he played with, and I had the joy of going with him. And, and they roasted a pig in the alley behind the blues club, and I ate half the pig. <laughs> it was wonderful. But I'd never seen a tornado before. And the sirens went off. And we're hiding in a, in a church basement taking shelter and the sirens went off and I decided to risk my life to see what a tornado looked like. So I went up into the parking lot. The sky was green. The sky was green. And we were driving the next day in the distance and I saw this tornado forming in the distance. I mean, it's, it is absolutely glorious. It's awesome and terrifying. Hello? But it reflects the nature of God. You're looking at raw power. So they tell me, you know, they, they, they say, well, out in nature, that's when, I, that's when I experience God. Their experience is always positive. And they associate nature with nurture. Their souls are affected by being out in God's creation. They feel a sense of well-being that they don't have otherwise. I wonder if they can imagine the sense of well-being that comes from an actual relationship with the Creator. Not just a relationship with what He made, but a relationship with Him. Can you imagine the sense of well-being that goes beyond the wonders of nature? Like nature's a mere innuendo? Nature's a post-it note? Now back to the text. The word is God's statement. And he cannot exist without communicating. Because he's a message. Hello? People, we got to stop saying, oh, I can't hear God. Oh, those prophetic people, they hear God. I, I can't hear God. Nonsense. Ridiculous. God is communicating all the time to us. We just don't know how to recognize his communications. He's a communicating God. 
It's the first act of making the world is an act of communication of his nature. And there is a meaning to be found in it. But we still haven't answered the question, what is the message? Now, is it making you hungry? Like, what is the what are you trying to say, Lord? What's this whole deal about? Now, John begins to answer that question by saying something even more profound in him, in the message was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not, two interpretations, understood it or overcome it. They're both important interpretations of this word. The darkness, the light shines in the darkness, bringing meaning, bringing a message, communicating the very nature of God. But the darkness has not understood it, nor has it overcome it. But this message of God has life in it, and that life is the light of men. It's not merely information. It's life. It's not just important as something to know about. It actually brings life. Which means it's not just an idea. It is life itself. Real. Something you interact with which is alive and it brings more life. And now more significantly, it shines in the darkness. This light is the illumination of for human life, which means there is no purpose. There is no true self-understanding. There is no true self-awareness apart from this message that comes from God. One of the great tragedies of Western civilization occurred in the time we call the Enlightenment. Prior to the Enlightenment, which I don't think was all that enlightening. No, seriously, it wasn't. It was a mistake. And here's the mistake. Up until the Enlightenment, all science, and don't think for a minute that science started in the 20th century. It didn't. Galileo and the boys were playing with math long before we ever invented a test tube. All human knowledge prior to the Enlightenment had one goal. All scientific discovery and investigation had one goal. To better understand God through understanding nature. Because of what Paul said. The firmament displays his very character. The divine nature is found in creation. So the idea was that through science... What is demonstrable and repeatable through scientific experiment will yield data. And this data will tell us something more about the wonder of God. And that's absolutely true. Up until the Enlightenment, the whole purpose of science, exploration and thought, was to better understand God. With the Enlightenment came a doctrine called humanism. And humanism said... Since man is the high water mark of God's creation, which he is, then studying man for man's sake is the purpose of science. And we will come to understand ourselves best by focusing on ourselves. 
as the high water mark of creation. So humanism replaced God with man as the center of our understanding and self-awareness and self-definition. So we began to define ourselves apart from God. And our focus of human effort and discovery in science became the understanding of ourselves by studying ourselves. And it's at that point that things start to really go wrong. Because we don't bring life. We're not the source of life. We're not the message. We receive the message. And we cannot define ourselves independently from the source of all light to human life. Because we're not the light to human life. Are you getting this? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness rejected it. But John is telling us that all of what is meaningful about human life comes from this message from God. But he's telling us something much more than that. And this is very important practically for us. He's telling us something about the essential nature of truth or light. It is only after the word becomes life that it can become the light of men. In other words, truth must become life before it becomes light. What am I driving at? I'm driving at this. Until truth is lived, it's useless. Until you apply truth in your own life, your knowledge of the truth is useless. Until truth is applied and turned into a life, until it becomes incarnate, which means put into human life, until it becomes lived in a human life, it's just an idea. And the danger is accumulating ideas without applying them leads to pride. Only the ideas which are applied and turned into a human life and lived are illuminating to that human life. You get where I'm coming from? It must become lived before it's light. If it's not lived, it's just an idea. And isn't that the heart of the Christian life? What percentage of we know what percentage of what we know do we do? I mean, we know a lot of stuff. Like, we know a lot of stuff. How much of the stuff are we doing? And what happens to us when we think we're doing it because we can talk about it? But we don't do it. We just talk about it. Talking about it without doing it leads to something that we call being jaded. It actually leads to the hardening of the heart because your will has not actually been engaged and your action hasn't changed, but you think you get it because you can talk about it. How many of the verses we quote do we live? How many of those verses have we incarnated into our own life? The power doesn't come from having ideas in our mind and talking about those ideas. The power comes when those ideas are turned into a life. Hello? A prophetic word unspoken has no power at all. If you don't risk praying for the sick, you're never going to see anyone healed. Hello? Do you get it? 
Words are only words until they're lived. In fact, we call a person a hypocrite who has the right words and no application. But this truth from God turned into a life. And we get to see it. And because, it turned, because the message turned into a human life and got lived on the surface of our earth as a human life, the message has power to change human life because it came as a human life. It was incarnated into human life in order to change human life. It has the power of God to change human life because it became a human life. It is not a theory. He is not an idea. He is a person. And because he lived, we live also. Because he conquered death, we conquer death. Because he lived a sinless life, a sinless life is attributed to each one of us. And if, you, if that doesn't make you happy, your heart is made of stone. Because he lived a perfect life, we are attributed a perfect life through him. And we are seen as innocent. Because he came and gave up his life, we have life. Now, John takes a minute to clarify something with his audience so they don't get confused. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. But he himself was not the light. How can you have the power of God flowing through you like Stephanie experienced in India this week, how can you have that kind of power flowing through you and have it not go to your head and make you proud? Because we're not the light. We're the donkey he rode in on. We come, he, John came as a witness to the light, but he is not the light. But then he says this, the true light, the true truth the lived incarnate truth that gives truth to every man was coming into the world. John wants to make certain nobody confuses him with the truth that is coming into the world. And no one should ever confuse us with the power that's flowing through our lives. Say we're going to end here. I haven't told you what the message is yet. There is a message and we're going to define it by carrying on with the text next Sunday. But let's sum up and just go through what the conclusions that we've reached this morning. Here's the summary of what we learned so far. Number one, since before the existence of time and space, God has had a message. Number two, the message was both God and with God. Of God, yet at the same time, with God. Three, the message is also personified. Praise God, the message is a he. Four, through the message, our world was brought into existence. 
We are entirely a derivative reality. We're completely dependent upon somebody's thought. He had an idea. Thank God. He thought about you. You came into existence. Thank God. Through the message, our world was brought into existence. Number five, the message is alive and it brings life. Number six, the message brings truth to human life. Without this message, humanity remains in darkness. No matter what our Western culture tells you, no matter what humanism tells you, no matter how wonderful we are, and no matter how emotional you feel when you watch the Olympic Games, which is, by the way, the high-water high mark of humanism. The Olympic spirit. They actually call it that. The Olympic spirit. Well, there is one. Without this message, humanity remains in darkness and confusion. Number seven, truth must be lived in a real life to be helpful to humanity. Abstract truth is of little use to answer the questions as to the meaning of human life. Only what can be lived is helpful. Our God is a practical God. If it doesn't actually work in reality, he doesn't bother with it. Number eight, the life and truth from God is coming and the darkness cannot understand it, but neither can it overcome it. The message is coming. We still don't know what that message is, so you've got to come back next week. You know, I have this guiding principle when I teach, and that's that any message should have an application. There should be some way we can allow God to apply this into human life before we leave the room. And I can't come up with one for this. How do we apply this? How do we take this into ourselves and incarnate it into our life? so that we're changed by what we've heard. There you go, that's good. Do what John did, be a witness to it. Be a witness to it. Let's close our eyes for a minute and wait on the Lord. Maybe he's got some particular application in mind. Oh, yeah. All right. Keep your eyes closed. God has a message. This is what he just showed me. God has a message and he wants to speak it this morning. And he has a message that's unique to each one of us. So let's just ask him what he wants to say to us this morning. To you, not to the church, to you as an individual. Father, what do you want to say? We're just waiting on you right now. We're listening. We're attentive. Father, what's the message to me this morning? What are you telling me about you? 
What are you telling me about me? What are you telling me about us? Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? He's communicated to you in some way. Raise your hand. Okay, now call it out. This is how we're going to praise him for the last two minutes. We're going to witness what he said. We're going to speak out what he said. What did he say to you? And I mean, it can be one word. Don't worry. It doesn't have to be deep like John. Okay. <laughs> what did he say? All right. Just keep be brave. Be be courageous. <laughs> A bride with an army boot. That's good image. Right on. There's courage, boldness, the militant. What else? What? Follow my lead. What else? Right on. What else? This is good. Choose to walk in the light. John says that a number of times in his epistles. He choose to walk in the light. Yes, Carol. Okay, I really wish you hadn't shared. Just stole my message for next week. <laughs> Doggone it. <laughs> yeah, right. Keep going. What else? What else did he say? Stop and listen. Stop and listen. What else? Hell. Right on. Wonderful. You guys, there might be some of you here today who are kind of uptight about this idea that God communicates to us and that we can actually hear him, his thoughts in our mind. But think about this, because I've taken note of everything that's been said. And every single word 
that you have said you heard him say are either paraphrases or direct references from Scripture. Hello? So you don't have to say, gee, I wonder if it was him. Of course it was him. Come on. I mean, he just quoted himself. As I said in my book, the ultimate author, right? Well, if you just read the book, he's communicating. And he's communicating in and through us, which is incarnating his word into our life by the very act of simply speaking to us. And we're closer to him because he just spoke. He spoke through scripture. He spoke through the gift of teaching. And now he's speaking prophetically through his people directly. Isn't he wonderful? What a communicating God. I mean, what a, what a just interesting communicating God. What a message he is. Okay, now get out. Go on. <laughs> Come back next week. I'll just lead us in a song if you guys want. But if you have to go, you're free to go. Definitely invite someone next week. Bring them here for the conclusion of the message. Yeah.